Thanks for tuning in for this month's Best Moments of the Futures Radio Show podcast. Futures Radio Show is sponsored by CME Group. They are the world's leading and most diverse futures and options exchange. CME Group's markets help individuals and businesses around the world effectively manage risk. For access to free educational tools and resources for the active individual trader, please visit cmegroup.com. For new show notifications, please subscribe to Futures Radio Show on iTunes, YouTube, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. And new in 2021, Futures Radio Show is now being recorded in video exclusively on YouTube. This show is also sponsored by Trading Technologies, TradeStation, and FTSE Russell. The Russell 2000 is a key benchmark for small cap U.S. stocks. Be sure to check out the E-mini Russell 2000 future symbol RTY and micro E-mini Russell 2000 future symbol M2K. To learn more about FTSE Russell and their products, please visit FTSERussell.com. Explain what the VWEP is. I know most people know it's probably one of the most popular indicators out there, but I think you should just give a quick example or just quick definition of what it is and how you started to implement it into your strategy. Yeah. So you can really think of it as a dollar cost average. So if you're used to buy, if people are used to buying, you know, a thousand dollars worth of Apple every month at the end of the year, you've purchased $12,000 worth of the stock. But one month you might have purchased 80 shares. One month you might have purchased 200 shares. Now, maybe not that dramatic, but at the end of the year, it's your cost basis. It's your volume weighted average price. So the volume weighted average price, you know, traditionally is measured for one day from the very you know, beginning at, you know, I'm, I'm going to talk in equity terms, 930 a.m. Eastern to 4 p.m. And it, it is cumulative throughout the day. The anchored VWAP allows you to pick any point in time. So, for instance, right now, I'm watching this uh, volume weighted average price anchored from the August low uh, in the SPY. And that would bring us, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, the August low, that brings us down to about 448.13. We're, you know, it's about a dollar and a half lower. And I think on this move, we're likely to hit that in the next day or two. Um, so I first started using it in 2003 with uh, Realtix software. They only had it available for the day, but then they also had a trend line um, that you could put on one spot and drag it forward. And it would be a, a horizontal line that would move up and down. I used to look at it and go, wow, it's really weird how sometimes it touches that line and bounces perfectly from it. Wouldn't it be cool if you could, you know, click the point, you know, from an earnings report? Uh, from year to date for the beginning of the month. These are all important levels that I like to anchor from to give me insight into who's in control from any point in time, the buyers or the sellers. Yeah. And I think for any trader listening to this, you could think about a time in the market that something happened and maybe it was a sharp move. I mean, let's just look at Ethereum yesterday had that rip move lower. You might want to anchor it from either the recent high or from this low you know a time or even an unemployment number, a Fed number, an important data point. You've talked to me about how you'll do it from earnings and how there was a move from there. I think that's what really opened it up for me is being able to anchor it from an area to actually identify what has happened from that point going forward, right? I mean, instead of just a moving average or something like that, it's actually a tool that from that point going forward, it's giving you information as to what's happening now. It brings, It keeps me very present. 
Yeah, uh, for, for me, it's the same way. Uh, it, it's I, I anchor it from any point in time. So week to date, uh, you know, from the beginning of the move, like you said, from a Federal Reserve, it can tell us who's in control from that meeting. And you'll see that oftentimes it'll get tested uh, as support or resistance. And uh, can you hold on one second? Yeah, it's good. It's good. Don't worry. Um, so it tells me who's in control from that point in time. Exactly. Earnings report. How is it being digested? Are the buyers maintaining control? Are they, you know, are they defending that average price since the event? That's what we want to look at. I love that people are putting questions in already. And I know most of the time during the live, I end up going a little bit later in the show. But because this is really happening uh, as we're talking about this, if the AVWAP is higher than the current trading price, it shows that the bulls are in control? No, actually the opposite. If the volume weighted average price right, is below prices and prices are above it, and that VWAP is rising, it tells us the buyers are in control. Whereas versus today in the S&P 500 or a lot of stocks, if you look at it from the very beginning of the day, we're below that volume weighted average price. We're making lower highs and lower lows below that, showing us that you know maybe if you're like this super scalper guy that you can you know still make some money on the long side. But for the day today, the sellers at this point remain in control, so it's guilty till proven innocent, at least on that time frame. And you know that's where it gets confusing for a lot of people is maybe they don't have their time frame defined, or they're looking at the longer term time frame and saying, "Hey, I still like it," and just buying it as it pulls back, rather than waiting for the evidence that the buyers have actually regained control. So. You know, one of one of the things I don't like, one of the phrases I, I dislike is "buy the dip," because it just it oh. just it's uh, it to me it's uneducated. It, there's nothing wrong with buying strength after the dip, but to stick bids in as it's just plummeting in front of you doesn't make any sense at all. One billion uh-huh. micros. It's crazy. It's insane. I mean, let that sink in. One billion micro contracts at CME since launching back with FX in 2009. That's amazing. And you just said micro FX back in 2009. And I'm actually going to pull up the my screen here in a moment because I want to show everybody really kind of all the different micro products that are out there. But the very first micro product was FX in 2009. I, I, I didn't even realize it went that far back. That's right. I think we launched them back in 2009 on FX, and then we introduced Micro Gold in 2010. But it was really the introduction of the Micro E-mini contracts in 2019 that really accelerated Micromania, so to speak, in the marketplace. And when we look at that number of 1 billion contracts on micros, about 90% or about 900 million of those contracts are in the Micro E-mini contracts. I think that really speaks to the pace of which retail traders and participants are coming to the market at CME. So when we look at the first half of 2021, retail participation market continued to grow, continuing that trend we saw in 2018 before the micro E-minis, then 2019. But when we look at our markets, we're up about 5% for retail participation this year, about 320,000 retail traders in our market. And of that, 95,000 of those traders totally new. Uh, to see me, which is super exciting. And about one third of them have only traded a micro contract. So micro contracts are certainly a way to get a lot more participants into our markets. And it's always good to see that that come to fruition because that was one of our beliefs, especially when we introduced the micro e-minis back in 2019. 
couple of stats I wrote down. 320,000 traders are actively trading micros, correct? That's uh, that's the retail traders in our markets, correct? The retail most, traders. Most of them are trading uh, micros, and about one-third of them, of the new traders, uh, about 40,000, let's say, accounts or so, have only traded a micro, which I think is really interesting in terms of it goes to what we've talked about on your other shows about making it easier for people to get involved in the futures market, much more manageable risk, much more precise risk in terms of trading strategies, scaling up and down. So it's just great to see all those come together. But it's really important that if we look at the first half of this year, retail participation is continuing to grow at CME. We're about, we've grown about 5% in terms of the number of retail traders in our market. How much overall has retail grown since the introduction in 2019 of the micro e-mini products? Oh, you know, that's a really good question. Uh, I don't know the, the exact statistic off my head, but I, off the top of my head, but when we look at it, it was something that we look back at 2018, you know, the retail participation was up double digits kind of year over year. And that's certainly a trend that's continued. Uh, and when we look at the, the micro e-minis, I think that really speaks to just giving more choice to people is it, certainly key in terms of accessing the markets and trading their strategies. And in terms of the growth that we're seeing, we're up 5% over last year, 2020. Uh, and 2020 was a, kind of a blockbuster year. When you think about the equity markets, a record year in 2020. So the fact that the retail participation in terms of the number of accounts, the number of users in our market growing versus 2020, that's, a, that's an incredible accomplishment. And I think largely the result of the outreach and the education that CME does, it's really important for us to bring new participants to our market and make sure they have all the tools needed to be successful. When I looked at the numbers, uh, I was looking at a bunch of different numbers from how many contracts all the different products have traded. And it's hard for me to, to imagine that it's all retail traders trading that many futures contracts because it's a lot of contracts, a billion contracts. How much of the existing customers, people like myself who've been a member exchange for a lot of, the, a lot of years, have allocated to start using micros in their strategies? Yeah, it's a good question. And you're certainly right. The micro contracts at CME are not just for the active individual trader. Uh, they certainly provide a lot of benefits to anyone who could use more precision, the smaller size contracts. So we think a lot about professional option traders, uh, those asset managers or hedge funds who need to, to allocate their US dollar investments or their, their inflows into their funds in smaller bite size. So if you look at E-mini, they don't need to make a $200,000 now uh, investment into an E-mini. They can do a $20,000 dollar investment so just more precision is certainly helpful to everyone and when we look at the participation i think that certainly has helped even the new micros that we introduced when we look at micro bitcoin micro crude and micro treasury there's certainly a tremendous amount of tailwind not only between the active individual traders but liquidity providers and other participants in the market uh, that they know they can everyone can benefit from the smaller size contract as they look to manage their risk in these markets yeah that's what's so interesting to me about the micros and we've talked about this i've talked about this with a lot of people on the show as well is that the micros have allowed even the bigger traders to use them in a way that they weren't able to use the bigger contracts whether it's scaling in you know it's funny i'll, I'll share a quick story so for me mostly s p trader been trading more nasdaq over the last year almost moved exclusively to NASDAQ micros. And I actually find that my overall position size when I'm actively trading it, even though I'm using micros, has actually gotten bigger 
And I was actually able to grow into a position that I normally would not get as big with the bigger contracts, even though I'm using a smaller one because of the ability to scale. And I mean that in the sense of if the NASDAQ is going through an area that I like, I have big ranges in NASDAQ to execute. Before I would be not in as much of a hurry to get in at an area because I didn't want to step in with full NASDAQ. Now I'm creeping my way in with the smaller contracts and able to accumulate essentially a bigger position and in my world, not taking on as much risk because I'm able to be patient and getting in with them and then scale out of them. I feel more comfortable actually getting bigger because I can get in and out with scales easier. With the bigger NASDAQ, I just was sometimes looking at it going, I, I got to be a little bit too price sensitive here. And that's what I hear from a ton of my trader friends. They've, they've gone to the micros for a lot of their day trading because of something like that. Now, S&P, I don't have that issue, but with NASDAQ, I did. So it's just interesting from that perspective alone, how I'm actually trading smaller contract size individually, but overall actually getting into bigger positions. It's pretty weird how that ended up turning out. Yeah, I think that's really interesting, especially when you think about, I think it's a great uh, example of the benefits that micro, micro contracts provide when looking to scale up and scale down that risk in the trading strategy, because it just makes it more manageable, especially when you're looking at technicals or momentum trading. And you, and you know, as you always tell your listeners to have, you know, to be disciplined and stick to your plan. And it's easy to do that in smaller increments, but also, you know, stay active and participate in the market. And you have a lot more uh, kind of dry powder, so to speak, when you're thinking about the capital in your account, you know, legging into one more micro is certainly one, not the same size. It's one-tenth of the capital. One-tenth. One-tenth of the risk of doing an E-mini. So it's just it's just much easier as the market's moving these days too, to use the, the, the micros to either ladder your strategy or scale up or scale down. Uh, so I think it's music to my ears. And I think it's also what's interesting is you're not the only one with respect to micro NASDAQ. Micro NASDAQ at CME is doing better when you look at the four majors, right? So S&P, Dow, NASDAQ, and Russell 2. The micro NASDAQ is about 50% of the micro pie and often someday a good number of days trades more than the micro S&P 500. If you look at the older siblings of those contracts in the E-mini, the E-mini NASDAQ is only about 35% of that pie. Uh, so proportionately, more people are using the micro, and I think that's not only the micro contract, but the backdrop of the work from home environment, the NASDAQ stocks, the story stocks. There's just a lot more going on in NASDAQ, and micro NASDAQ e-mini futures is an amazing tool for people to use in terms of managing their risk or accessing the market. Because when you look at the NASDAQ, at least for me in my world, a single price doesn't hold that much weight on my strategy. I need a wide range of execution. In the S&P, a single price holds a lot more weight. I might look at a $1 to $3 range of execution, where in the NASDAQ, my range of execution could be 20 to 40 points. Why trade futures with TradeStation? You can trade over 160 futures contracts and over 240 futures options products from home, work, or on the go with a powerful, easy-to-use interface and prices that let you focus on padding your wallet, not emptying it. TradeStation, helping you reach your financial edge. Tell us a little bit about yourself and just your style of trading and what you got going on in your trading business. Sure, absolutely. Um, so I'm I'm literally the guy next door. You know, I mean, I, I work a full-time job outside my house. I'm married. I have two teenage daughters. Um, you know, and so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the guy next door. So when I started trading, you know, years ago, um, I had to figure a way to incorporate that, which 
does take a lot of time. I mean, it's not something you could just do, you know, when you feel like doing it um, and incorporate that into my life. So that was, um, you know, that's when I started the journey, basically. Um, but yeah, that's how that's 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 who I am. Um, I do um, on the side. I do jujitsu, Brazilian jujitsu. Uh, that's how I, I train that. Um, it's been fantastic for me. Um, I think that's part of the balance, and we could get into that if you want to. Um, on, on how to, you got to find something outside of trading, outside of work, and even outside your family. I think in order to uh, to be you know successful. Yeah. So, do you work and trade? Are you full time uh, trading and working? Yeah. So. Um, you know, I work full time, um, trading supplements, that income, what I do is my, my style is I put my orders in when the market's closed and this way, if I'm trading, I'm, I'm sorry, if I'm working, the orders will automatically execute. And I'm not, I'm not, you know, worried about missing something too bad. I mean, occasionally do you miss something? Absolutely. Markets sometimes move very quickly without you, but, um, but overall, um, that that's kind of how I do it. I, I, I have my orders preset when the market's closed. I think that so many people coming to this business that want to get involved in trading should take this approach. This is why I was excited to speak with you today because I think too many people want to become traders without thinking that they have to work. And, and I don't understand that type of thinking. I mean, I look at my career. I was on the trading floor and I had to work while I was a member of the exchange for other traders. And I worked at night to be able to stay in business. I, I mean, it's not like you just walk into this and... Uh, maybe some people on Fintwit, uh, they seem to walk into it, but you don't just walk into this business and just start getting income. And even if you right. are making money early on, you really don't want to be spending that. You know, you right. need to find other ways to do it. I don't understand why more people don't take that approach. I think it's an ego thing. I mean, what do you think? Yeah, no, 100%. It's an ego thing. And I think it's, you know, again, you hear again, on Fintwit, you hear people, you know, with these multi-baggers and, and, and these, these huge wins, and they don't really talk about their losses. So they only talk about the wins if they even existed in the first place. And I think that's where, you know, so you have a irrational idea of what trading actually is. And, and I'm guilty of that too in the beginning, you know, you know, you thought you were gonna come in and, and you're gonna swing for the fences every time and, and, and hit grand slams. And it's just not like that, you know, it, it's singles, it's doubles, and every so often you get a really good one. No, exactly. I mean, is that how it works for you as well? I talk about this a lot. I say that you make money in moments as a trader. I actually got a great question on YouTube the other day. Somebody sent me a question and said that we've heard a lot of traders talk about the 80-20 rule that like 20% uh, of their trades is what makes them all their money. Uh, how does that work for you? Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. I mean, I could when I go back and, look and review my, my trades, you definitely see these these dry periods and you see, you know, explosions and you see dry periods and explosions. And, um, yeah, and, and I think the market's good, you know, three or four times a year at best, you know, and we can, you know, uh, you know, trade really heavy during those times and, and kind of chill out a little bit during the other times. I think we'll all be a little bit more successful. I totally agree. I mean, people put too much emphasis on short-term results. They want to make money every single day. And although I do know some traders that will come in and turn a buck and, you know, pretty much not necessarily every day, nobody really does that, but, you know, every week, every month, I was like that for many years when I was a scalper. I've gotten away from that. One of the biggest challenges I face as a swing trader is that I have to allow time in between things to work. And that's a whole other you know, part of my body that I had, <laughs> had to train myself to say, you know what, you need time to do this. Do you consider yourself a swing trader? Uh, do you consider a position trader? Do you not classify it? Yeah, so I, I do consider myself a, a more of a swing trader. I have 
retirement accounts like everyone else. I have four with, you know, 401ks, you know, my wife's got 403B, IRAs, whatever. We have all that stuff. Those are all long-term accounts. That stuff we dollar cost average into, you know, you have some positions, whatever. We, we adjust it, you know, once a year, you know, maybe every, you know, nine months or something. Um, not too often. Uh, but then this account, you know, and I, I, I really swing two accounts. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's going to be hopefully weeks to months type of trading. I mean, that's my goal. Yeah, I, I know if I stay in a trade longer, I'm probably going to be more successful in it. It means it's working in my favor. Um, I know if I look at my days in a trade and it's shorter, you know, if I'm in days to maybe a week or two, I know that probably wasn't a good trade for me. It was too fast. It, it just didn't work out right. So it's not the type of trading I want to be in. Um, so yeah, if I could be in there weeks to maybe even a few months, that's my perfect time frame. You know, you said something I think is extremely important. If it, you're in a trade for longer, it's because the market's keeping you in a trade. And I think that people don't respect the feedback from the market enough because one of the questions I get, I know you probably get this a lot, is how do you hold on to winners longer? Or how do you get the most out of that 20%, right? We talked about the 80-20 rule. How do you do that? I mean, it sounds so much easier than it is. And this is something that I take a lot of time uh, mentally preparing uh, and knowing that if something's working for me and I'm getting that feedback, I do two things. One is I start to press my trades. You know, I'm a little bit shorter term. I consider myself a swing trader, but because I'm doing, using futures and crypto, I know that you do a little bit more stocks. Mm -hmm. For me, my short-term execution is really important because if I start to see something work and I'm getting great response, I try to get it on as much as I can, as soon as I can. And as the trade's working, like with all of us, it's so difficult to try and hold that. But if you're getting that feedback, I've had to put things into play to help me stay in that trade. And that's what I want to talk to you about is how did you get to that point where you were able to accomplish that 80-20? What are some of the things you put in play to be able to hold your winners longer and have that 20% be where a majority of your winners uh, money that you make comes from? Sure. So I think probably one of the most important things I do on the weekend is I try to figure out are we in a healthy market? I, you know, on Saturday, I, I literally try to answer that one question. What type of market are we in? And I kind of reset every Saturday and try to uh, renew that question. Are we in a healthy market? And so, you know, I do I have different you know, things I look at from bonds and sentiment, whatever, um, all kinds of things uh, to try to figure out the answer to that question. Now, once I, if the answer is yes, well, then on Sunday, I go ahead and create my watch list and make my plan for the trading week at that point. Um, yeah. I like to use moving averages personally um, to tell me what type of trending market we're in. Also, I think that's so simple, but it, it's it just works perfectly. I mean, we know if we have a bullishly aligned moving averages, we're in uptrend. It's that simple. Why, don't overthink it. Don't look at every tick. You know, that's it. Exactly. I mean, I love how much you hear from people that say, well, moving averages don't work. Well, they may not work for you. And I've gotten a lot of pushback on this and people are like, oh, don't tell me that you use moving averages or whatever. Now, I don't use moving moving averages for entries, but I use them as guides of trend. And they're great because you could take that moving average to whatever time frame that you're looking at. And you could say to yourself, I like the 10-day moving average a lot for my time frame. Mm -hmm. If we're holding above or below it, and I see my other indicators, which I primarily use Bollinger Bands, and we're staying below it, 
I don't need to look at a trend line or anything else. I know what the 10 day trend is. Mm -hmm. It's just that simple. And that's something that I put into play to keep me in a trade. I mean, people, when they say, well, how do you get better at holding winners? Or how do you get to that 80, 20, where 20% are? You need to put things in that keep you in the trades, right? You need to put those things in. So mm -hmm. you said you use moving averages because we're going to go to the charts here in a little bit. Before we get there, I want everyone to understand your style and your thinking before we get there. So when we get to the charts, we just start talking about markets and what we're seeing. Absolutely. Take us from the beginning. When you sit down, you say you do a lot of prep. What are you looking at? What are the tools you're using? Okay. So my charts are going to be really simple. And I believe that there's elegance and simplicity, right? If I have too much stuff cluttering up my charts, I'm obscuring the most important thing, which is price. That's the way I look at it. So I use two moving averages. You're going to see the nine-day EMA and the 23-day EMA. Those are the two that I use. Um, you're going to see volume on there, and then you're going to see price. And that's that's really it. Um, I'll okay. draw then areas that I think um, are support and resistance, or at least were prior important areas. We'll we'll find out after the fact if they're support and resistance, of course. But um, but that's that's as simple as I can make it. You know, because you know if price isn't talking to you, what are you really looking at a chart for at that point? Um, so that's that's what I look at as far as my charting goes. Um, as far as you know, things that I look at, you know, to tell me if the market's healthy or not. I think um. You know, there's different things. There's sentiment, bond ratios, you know, that, that kind of tell you what's going on um, and breadth. I think breadth, which has been deteriorating since February, um, is, is really important. With that being said, as we know, breadth is not a timing mechanism. Like it's been deteriorating for six months now, seven months now. And so, so we can acknowledge it, but that doesn't mean that we can trade off of it. So it's awareness. You want to be yeah. aware in case something starts to happen, like what we saw, you know, a couple of days ago, to where all of a sudden now you say to yourself, "Look, at this has been showing it, and now the market's giving me the feedback that this is potentially happening, and now maybe uh, I take caution with whatever it is I'm doing, or it sets up for something." I, I just call it market awareness, and I think this is also something that a lot of traders, I really believe, struggle with is taking some of the things that they hear out there whether it's on Twitter or you know other podcasts or other things and saying, how do they utilize this all this information? Because we're at a time where there's just something that's overwhelming. I think that traders that have plans and, and know what they're looking for are confident in what they're looking for can take those types of things, like you said, with breath. And it's just like sitting back there, right, Jack? It's something that you're like, okay, it's not making me trade right now, but if something starts to happen, I'm like, okay, it matters now. We used to say on the trading floor a lot, nothing matters until it does. We weren't watching news a lot. We would see headlines and we watched the market. Nobody mm -hmm. would say, oh, I saw that headline. Let me hit the bid or buy the offer. We very rarely did that when we were on the floor. What we did was we'd see the news and then we'd watch. Yeah. I think everybody nowadays, the algos can do that. We can't do that. Yeah. So when I see something or hear something or there's anything going on, I go back to the tape. You said nine and 23 moving averages, mm -hmm. volume, price, and breath. Mm -hmm. Right, that's it. And before we get to the charts, what is your time frame that you're looking at? Is it daily, sixty minute? Do you have multiple time frames? Yeah, I almost, I rarely will go under a day. Um, so I'll do daily. I look at weeklies, um, and I'll look at monthlies um, every well, once a month. But uh, um, <laughs> but, that, but yeah. that's about it. You know, sometimes I sneak every every couple of weeks in a monthly, but uh, but in general, once a month. Um, 
but yeah, but that's it. So I like to look at my dailies and, and I think weeklies are instructive again, just for that longer, you know, zoom out, see the forest type of thing. Um, or what's going on in the market, you know, are we, did we go straight up and, and I didn't realize it, you know, sometimes that happens, right? Sometimes the market's moving and, and you're so focused on, on, on the minutia that you don't realize what it's actually doing. Oh, absolutely. And are you long only? Do you short anything? Yeah, I rarely will short. Um, every so often, um, if I'm not exactly sure what's going on in the market, but I don't want to really sell my positions and go to cash, I may, you know, throw a, like an inverse ETF or something in there just to kind of make it a little bit neutral, just to like get a better feel of what's going on. Just kind of keeps me in a little bit longer. Trade the global markets with trading technologies. TT is the world's fastest commercially available futures trading platform. Now with integrated tools for advanced options trading, cryptocurrencies, and trade surveillance. Learn more at tradingtechnologies.com. The first part I want to really talk about is just your process. You know, I've been following you for a while. I remember when we had you on the podcast, I think it was probably a couple of years ago. Uh, I've just seen you evolve more and more as a, as a technician, and I'm assuming obviously as, as a trader. Where are you in your journey? Are you short-term trading, medium-term, swing? Tell us a little bit about how your process as a trader is. Well, I do, uh, well, I try to do all things. So um, I am a swing trader in my investment account, and then I am sort of more of a scalper, sometimes a swing trader in my futures account. So I just, I sort of do both things. I try anyway. Yeah. So obviously it comes down to market and conditions for that, right? Yes. Yes. I mean, certainly it's, you know, futures are so high leverage. It's, it's easier to do when it, you, know, you, you have a clear identified trend and you, you're, you know, everything is, is uh, less choppy, so to speak, than it is exactly right now. But yeah. So you think on the future side, you're definitely more of the, of the, the scalper, just intraday stuff. You're not carrying stuff as much overnight. Mm, well, I say that, but I just stay up all night if I, <laughs> <laughs> got it. Um, so you will hold them. Yeah. 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 I was holding uh gold futures all night and then I was pretty unhappy this morning when it uh, just started pooping, but yeah, so I was, <laughs> I was attempting a, a large swing there. I still am at this time. I think so we'll get into that. When we look at the charts later, we'll see what you thought about gold and then okay. we'll talk a little bit about your execution. I have multiple trading accounts too, and I don't think enough people do this. I think a lot of people try to really just open up one trading account with whatever broker they're at, and they they basically just trade both types of strategies because a lot of us are, are like what you do. I'm a scalper intraday when the situations present themselves. I like to swing trade. You know, I trade crypto. I trade stocks. So I have multiple accounts, and I think that is such an important part of me being able to really balance my ideas and my, just my strategies in general. Do you, do you recommend that? I mean, how did you get to the point where you started to say like having these separate accounts? Well, I mean, cause I think I was sort of forced into it in a way just cause my IRA doesn't allow any kind of um, futures or options or anything like Got that. It. So I, I just try to play the bigger trends in my uh, investment account. And then, you know, for the futures, I just try to play the, the, high probability swings and, yeah. and scalps. Yeah. Well, obviously, yeah. I mean, yeah, a lot of traders, you get, if you have a, you know, equities account or if you got a futures account, they got to be in separate accounts anyway. Right. But even for like styles, I, for me, actually, I have multiple futures accounts 
for a couple of reasons. Obviously, I think if one goes down, I want to be able to go to another one to be able to get out of it. I learned my lesson. Uh, I had a situation. I don't know. Maybe some people know about the MF Global, but you know, I had money in MF Global at the time. I woke up one day, all of a sudden, I couldn't trade and couldn't get out of positions. Not going to go there about that. But I've learned it's important to have multiple trading accounts, and also just for to be able to have like the swing versus the scalp. So this way yeah. you can see your different track records. I mean, do you yeah. look at that as well? I do. And um, so, you know, it's interesting. Sometimes I do hedge within one account with the, the micros. You know, if I'm, if, I'm, if I'm doing something and I think I just need to pause, I'll hedge with the micros. Do you ever do that? Like, you, you know, take an opposite position for... Meaning that like, so basically, let's just say that you have like a NASDAQ position on in one account and then yeah. you're looking at it going, you know what, I might want to lay some off here. And then yeah. the other account, you, you let's just say you were long NASDAQ, maybe you short some micros to kind of like trim it, but exactly. still carry the big position because it hasn't exactly. gotten stopped out yet. Exactly. You can even do it in the same account. At least they allow me to do it. I don't know if you're oh, yeah. You could do that in the same account. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I mean, because it's. Yeah, I mean it's it's fungible in that in that respect because it's really you're, you're taking. I, I think this is one of the beauties. I'm glad you mentioned this. This is one of the beauties of using the micros. I yes. mean, for me, I almost only exclusively use NASDAQ micros now, only. And my reason is, is because it moves so much that when I'm scaling in and scaling out, the bigger NASDAQ, I was too price sensitive. So I move only into the micros. I don't use the micros for the S&P, but I use them for the NASDAQ. Hmm. That makes sense. Which do you use when you're trading them? How are you determining? Is it just your your stop risk, uh, or are, are you using only the bigger ones, the bigs or the mini now, or yeah. the micros? Well, it depends on my confidence level, and uh, that's pretty much it. So, I mean, it it really just depends on how uh, confident I am in something and whether or not my plan is to scale in. I usually my plan is to scale in because the kind of trader I am is a little bit like. Um, um, I don't want to say knife catching, but it's a little bit like, uh, I know, I don't know. I buy, I buy support and I sell resistance. So usually I, I try to scale in though, if I'm unsure whether or not the support will hold or resistance will, whatever. So scale, you like to scale in, you're not in all at once almost ever, or are, are you sometimes in all at once? I mean, for, for what I would consider a scalp, I go in all at once, Got it. Um, but just for like normal trading i do try to scale in if scalps i take if i feel they're very high confidence got it so do you get in all at once let's just say it's a hypothetical scalp right and it gets to the level you have a predetermined level right so your entry you already know where it is once it gets there do you just get in yeah otherwise okay. i otherwise i go deer in headlights and i wait until it's already either bounced or whatever and then i go in and then it goes down every time <laughs> You know what I mean? So I just have to. Got it. So for the swing positions, are you ever all the way in all at once or is the, do those, is it a plan scale? Uh, usually it's a plan scale. I mean, usually it's, you know, buy at whatever level and then when it goes down by the next third and if it then goes up and then back test by the last third. Yeah. Got it. And is that really come down to the setup? Do you like have an A setup, a B setup, a C setup, something like that? Or is every setup pretty much like that's what it is? I don't know what you mean. A setup. So like for me, I look at like I was kind of talking about this a little bit lately on Twitter and in some of the shows where 
when I see divergence in the indices, like the Russell's up and the Nasdaq's down, or the, the, there's the, the, you know the the indices are not working together, yeah. for me that will always classify as a smaller trade. So I would consider that I, I don't really say it to myself as a B setup, but as a setup to where I look at the environment and say, I really just want to be smaller here, and I, I don't want to be taking on a full position. But if it's a day where I see Let's just say you were talking about gold and maybe silver had a similar setup or something else really confirmed it. Then I would just be more aggressive. That'd be like an A. Oh, that makes a lot of sense because of the amount that silver was down today. One would think I would have taken this uh, other gold scalp, but a little bit uh, lighter. <laughs> I wish we'd have had this talk beforehand. <laughs> um, no, uh, but yeah, that, that makes sense. That That isn't necessarily what I do. I really just do it on confidence level based on that particular chart. But I like that. I like that a lot. For me, I just felt that it just it works better for me, you know, and I am I think I mean, I, I love the way you look at the market and, and the way that you are as a technician. And I'm a little bit I'm not I wouldn't say I'm really a technician. I have a strategy that I look at technicals, but I wouldn't consider myself you know, as good of a technician as someone like you, who you're doing really good researching. You're seeing a lot of different things, you know, and you really put together, I think, a really good, simple trading plan. But I've seen it over time and I've seen the effectiveness of it. Yeah. Um, and what I like for me, because I, I kind of look at only a couple of things, I like to see the correlation markets or I like to look at the environment as almost as a whole. When you're looking at all of your stuff, do you like sometimes get a sense and a feel of saying, you know what, look at everything right now is coming to support or everything right now is getting weak. Um, does that trigger any sort of different thoughts in your mind about your execution? Yeah, it does. So um, this week when I was looking at charts, I, you know, I sort of have a, an idea that um, for for what I thought was going to happen to pan out, it sort of needs everything to sort of come in line. So in this particular situation for this week, I thought, oh, I think I'm going to be right about everything or wrong about everything. I mean, it yeah, could... I heard you say that at the beginning. It was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it's true. And so um, I'm sort of look. I was sort of looking for one thing to go out of whack and give me an early clue as to the fact that I might be wrong about everything. And I mean, I could be wrong about just some things, but like, um, uh, yeah, I, I do watch everything at once. I, uh, I, you know, each of my charts that I share is sort of individual, but during the day, yeah. I, I only have one monitor in this office. So I'm, I'm usually just looking at my thinkorswim screen and I have everything up at once and I'm just, and I have my levels marked off on all the charts. And so I'm just sort of watching for anything to go out of whack so that I can adjust something else. Yeah. You know, it's funny you say you only have one screen. I mean, that's all I have too. I have one big screen. I feel like yeah. the, the more I get into this business, as many years as I've been doing it, just the less I need to see. It's all done in my prep. I know what I'm looking for. I don't need to see 30 different markets. I'm not trading 30 different markets. Yeah. You know what? When I was a new trader, I thought I was hot doo-doo because <laughs> I had like three huge monitors and, you know, you'd walk into my office and it looked really like, wow, she knows what she's doing. I had no idea <laughs> it's what funny, I was right? doing. And it was like the more things I was looking at, the less I knew what I was doing too. Like it was bad, but yeah, no, I mean, and when I moved, I just set up the one monitor and then, um, I did, you know, I was like, Oh, I'm actually doing better. Not being distracted by everything. Just sort of having one. I mean, you know, sometimes I use my iPad as a separate thing, which I should be doing now to watch the market. But, uh, yeah, I, most of the time I just use this one big monitor and I'm happy with it too. It's not distracting. 
Yeah, I mean, I have a laptop next to me that I use for like social media and stuff. I'll look at it. Definitely, I have that. But I really have one trading screen, like one overall chart screen. Yeah. Uh, we're going to get to questions later, but somebody asked a really good question. I think it's just appropriate to kind of ask it right now. And they're saying, you know, Julia, what was it like going from a part-time trader to a full-time trader? Like, what did you, what, how did you get to that point? Oh, well, uh, I, I was really lucky because I just sort of jumped in, um, uh, full-time all at once, uh, because I had done pretty well in my previous jobs. So, um, I was lucky that way, but, um, I'm not sure I would have done it that way to begin with because it's a lot of pressure. So I think, you know, the first thing I would have wanted to do is have a track record of at least six months of profitability before I jumped in because I, I bled money for, you know, a couple of years. You, I, yeah. I did. So I wish I had. Um, and when you're bleeding money, you sort of get more desperate and more desperate and do dumber and dumber things because, then oh. you think, well, yeah, I'm just going to like now I'm going to put it all on red or black or totally. whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So the more desperate you are, the worse you trade. And you know, people, and I, so this is the thing that, um, this is one of the reasons I don't share my PL, but I, I had a huge trading account to begin with. I mean, I don't want to say exactly, it's just, it was huge. And the reality is I could have shown amazing numbers on some days, but on the other days it was, it was really horrible. And I know some people I was kind of chatting with online at the time were like, you need to start smaller. And I was like, no, I don't. I'm smart. I can just, uh, I'll, you know, I'll just uh, start big and I'll figure this out. And I, I wish I had listened to that. I wish I had not just thought to myself, no, no, I can do this. I mean, I mean, it's important to have self-confidence, but it's more important to have a track record and to be responsible. Um, so I think it would have helped me to have a stream of income while I was learning because, you know, at some point then I had lost so much that I was just like, all right, well, now, now, now I don't care. And as soon as I started not caring, then it came together. Thank you for listening to Futures Radio Show. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a five-star review on iTunes. Never miss an episode. Go to anthonycrudelli.com and get on our email list for show notifications and for free content that is exclusively for subscribers. Also on anthonycrudelli.com, you will find tons of videos and education on trading futures, options, and crypto. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Opinions expressed are solely my own and my guests, and they do not express the views or opinions of my sponsors. Futures Radio Show is produced by Crudelli Productions.